Psalms 111. Psalms 111. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. This morning, I, uh, I, I felt like I brought our attention to real worship during the message this morning. Did y'all hear that? And it's not about the song. It's not about the preaching. It's about us touching God, right? And, and God ministering to us, virtue, inspiring us and, and equipping us. Tonight, we're going to look at Psalms 11, and it's about praising the Lord. Matter of fact, the first four words, praise ye the Lord. Psalms 111. I'll give you all a little preacher information. I only have eight psalms that I haven't preached to. I've preached on every psalm but eight. And uh, I, honestly, that may sound carnal to you, but it doesn't to me. I'm preaching the last eight in the next couple of years. You know, how do you figure out what God wants you to preach? Well, first of all, you say, he, you go to what Paul told Timothy. And we apply it this way. Preachers apply it this way. When you don't know what to preach, take Paul's advice. What did he tell Timothy? Preach the word. Preach the word. Preaching the words a whole lot better than me giving you my opinion or what's feeling going on in my heart or how I feel about things. Preach the word. And so I, I kind of get permission to cover the rest of the Psalms that way because when I get old, it will be a great comfort to my little old heart to know that I preach from all the Psalms. Now, I'll tell you some books I haven't preached much in. This makes you no different. doesn't matter to you, but I haven't preached much in Job. The Song of Solomon. You can imagine why I hadn't been there. <laughs> um, let me see. I am ne I've never preached through the book of Luke. Believe it or not, I've preached the other three Gospels. But the last, maybe, uh, the, the last of the synoptics, the three Gospels, I'm going I'm to cover Luke. And uh, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I'll tell you what. One of the major factors that I use to decide what I'm preaching is, am I enjoying it? That may sound unright, not right to you. But if I don't enjoy it, I know I have a chance that you won't. So, uh, I don't know how that all works, but that's how it works. Psalms 111, I've never preached in, but I studied it this last week, and I'm ready. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. That's in other psalms, other places in the Bible. His righteousness endureth forever, never changes. Verse 4, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He hath showed his people the power of his works that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. That's important too. The works of his hands 
are verity, true. And judgments, all his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever. They don't move, right? And ever, ever, and ever, and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. You just plug Jesus right there. And commanded his covenant forever, holy and reverent is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The good understanding, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. That's a promise. His praise endureth forever. That's a good psalm. This psalm starts off with praise ye the Lord. And then verse chapter 12, 112 and 113 are the same way. Praise ye the Lord. So I'm, I'm sure same, same writer, Song of David. And uh, praise you the Lord means in our translation, you know what it means? Praise you the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what it means. Hallelujah. Uh, some people say hallelujah. They take the H off of it. The H is silent, right? Hallelujah. I come from Missouri. I say hallelujah. Now our worship is to be praised to the Lord. It's to be admiration of God, approval of who He is and what He does and what He stands for. Praise, our praise is to glorify God. We, it's our goal to lift Him up. Praise ye, the Lord. Praise ye, every one of us. It's to us, individually. Praise ye, the Lord. Worship the Lord. The Lord, the object of our praise. And then he gives us the example that he's going to give us. He said, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. Hey, don't, don't, let, don't let that bother. That's not bothering me a bit. Don't let that bother you. I'm good. Don't let that bother you. He, he's worshiping God. <laughs> praise you, the Lord. Glorify him. So we're called to praise God. We're saved. We're called to praise God and and we're to worship God, we're to touch the Lord, we're to bring our offering to the Lord, ourselves, and we're to lift it up to the Lord and praise the Lord. We're to touch the Lord and He touches us and, and something good happens in our hearts. We may not feel it, but it happens. And that's an important thing. We, don't need to, we, we do not need to go by our feelings. Our feelings are fickle. We go by faith. If you do what you should do, if you come and you... Try to touch the Lord. If you try, you'll touch Him. Because He's not hard to touch. And He'll touch you. And you may not feel it, but He will empower you and strengthen you. So we're called to praise the Lord. Verse 1. Notice, praise ye the Lord. Then this example. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. I'm going to get into it. Where? In the assembly of the upright. He's talking about the congregation of the Lord. And in the congregation. So after the statement of praise you the Lord, he sets the example and says, I will, I will do it. Not half-hearted, I'll do it. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, I'm going to read this to you. Verse 8. The Lord had a complaint with the children of Israel. He says, a son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, 
that despise my name? And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? You have polluted, you have offered polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, wherein have we uh, polluted thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now to the governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept your person? Saith the Lord of hosts. Pretty good statement there. You think about that. God had a contention with the children of Israel in that statement. And he said, if I'm a father, if I'm a master, where's my honor? You know, God doesn't make us do anything. He corrals us sometimes, doesn't he? He hymns us up and corrals us. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for that. But he doesn't force our hand to do anything. It's not mandatory. He created Adam because he wanted Adam to worship him as a choice. Y'all hadn't forgotten that, have you? He created Adam because he wanted him to worship and evil to worship the Lord by choice. And they chose to sin, and it, it, it contaminated the whole thing. Now, in the text of Malachi 1, 6-8, the priests were despising his name. Uh, they, they were, they, it says, Ye offered polluted bread upon mine altar. It wasn't sanctified. And he said, You're polluted. Uh, you, we, we, we have, you have polluted me, is what the Lord is saying. And he, he, he said, Why don't you offer that to the governor? And, and you know, it's a real thing. I don't know who's important to you young people. I don't know who y'all have respect for. But think of someone, you young people, think of someone that's, that you think a lot of, some high official, some... Who would that be? I wouldn't know who that would be. Who would that be? Anyone? Think of anybody that y'all really think a lot of that you don't know personally that is a high-up person? A, song, a music person, a sports personality, or something like that? Can y'all think of any? I guess I'm the greatest thing y'all know. Lord help y'all. Lord help y'all. But let's take, for example, some sports, some athlete. Some athlete were to come here and speak. A Christian athlete. And, and, and Albert Pujols. Let's, get, let's plug Albert. Y'all know Albert? Hmm. What's, who's a good country music guy? God, somebody give me one. Who? Yeah, we'll say his name out loud where they can hear it. Jason Aldean. Aldean, I like him. Jason Aldean, the only reason I like him, I just heard of him. <laughs> I heard of him, try that in a small town, and now I like him. Y'all like that guy? Okay, if he's going to come here and speak to us. Okay? How, would y'all would y'all come? Would y'all come? Would you come? I ain't getting no help from y'all at all. I don't even know why I'm trying now. I'm trying for your benefit now. Well, if there's somebody you really, really respect, you should honor that person. You should listen to that person. You should pay respect in, in all that you do to that person. And what God is saying, he said, you're disrespecting me. God is saying, you're disrespecting me. And, and he is saying to us, try that on that Jason Aldean, that person you respect. And would you, do, would you treat him that way? God is saying, would you treat him that way? He's, God is saying to us, would you treat the governor that way? And no, you wouldn't. You would show him respect. 
And so God says, I am God, and I deserve your respect. And so that's why we should respect the Lord, ain't it? Amen? And, and show Him our respect. And so uh, that, that's just, God, we shouldn't give a half-hearted effort to the Lord. Now, Psalms, verse 1 in this psalm, the psalmist said, I will praise the Lord in the assembly of the congregation. So we come together as assembly of the congregation. Our praise needs to be corporate together, out loud, doing it together spontaneous if that's possible, and we're to give the Lord all the praise and glory for whatever happens good in our life. Everything that happens good in your life, you owe praise to God for. Now, let me ask you something, uh, Caleb. If you got what you deserve from God, what would you get? What? Nothing? Swore? What? No. If you got what you deserve, nothing. It's worse than that. In hell. You deserve to go to hell. You know that. You deserve to go to hell, and I do too. Bryce, if you got from God what you deserve, would you go to hell? That's what we deserve, isn't it? I, I'm going to drive this point home with you. Paul, if you got what you deserve from God, you'd go to hell. William, you understand that? God is a holy God, and we've all failed. We've all come short. We haven't respected Him like we should. Even if we try, we haven't done a good enough job at it. Okay? So if we all got what we deserve, we would go to hell. Curtis, you too. Me too. I'm in the same boat. But God is good. God is gracious. And we owe Him praise for every good thing that we have. And we, we should be willing to praise the Lord without restraint, without regret, without reservation. No one should bother us. If, you know, if we do that, it would, it would be a blessing to other people. Just worship the Lord without reservation. <clears throat> and, and I tell you all, you guys sing in the church, don't you? I'm sorry, I'm preaching this group right over here right now. Linda, you're, you're including this. There was a day I decided to start singing and participate in church, and I'm glad that all you guys do, and I'll have to check up on that next time we worship, make sure I'm telling the truth. But when I decided to participate in the songs and sing the songs and be a part of church, it changed my whole experience at church. I began to enjoy going to church then. Maybe not as much as I do now, but it changed my attitude about it. And so you've got to be willing to participate in worship. We need to worship publicly. Now, the second point, worship, praise, have reasons. There's reasons for it. Look at verse 2. It says, The works of the Lord are great. Right. I don't know what I need to add to that. The works of the Lord are great. And uh, we could look at creation. Don't forget who created this world. Don't underestimate what He did, what He has done in the past. The universe. We see the fingerprints of God in everything that He created. His works are not random by happen chance, but they're purposeful. They're in detail. They're organized. They're organized. From the atom to the stars, God made it all. He made it all. And, 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 and there's no accidents. I, 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 have a, I have a thought here that I'll share with you all. I believe the, the Lord, when he, when he in, in chapter 1, verse 2 of Genesis... I believe he created everything in perfection. 
I, I don't believe the underwater table was like it is today. I don't think the mountains were like they are today. Uh, and yeah, I may be wrong. I wasn't there. Okay? But I, I don't believe there was desert spots and, and fertile spots. I believe the whole world was uniformly great and wonderful and pleasant. I think the flood created all the problems, all the, 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 the table, the water table, and crushed the water table and, 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 and all of that. Now, but what did God do? He made it even more beautiful with that, didn't he? With the sin of man, God took his perfect creation and made it even more beautiful. And I have been, Debbie and I have been to New England on the very day that the, that the leaves peaked out. Now, it may have been an off year for them. I don't know. Anecdotal evidence is all I have to offer. I was there. <laughs> but I come home saying, I don't know why I've always wanted to go see the trees up in New England. The trees of Missouri are much more beautiful than the trees of New England. Does anybody agree with me on that one? But what I'm saying is God made it more beautiful where sin abound, grace much more abound. God is wonderful in what He does, isn't He? God will take your life where it is and what it is and He can make something good and wonderful out of your lives. Now, God made the creation, made all the world. We think about that, but God will work in your own personal life. And those works are good. Although our God operates and runs the universe, He cares about the little small things that go on in our personal lives. Now, that is a great God. He doesn't overlook. Brecken, this next week, you're going to be doing something somewhere, and God is concerned. He's looking out for you somewhere at 24-7 this week. He sees it all, and he cares. The details of my life. And when I sin, God does not approve of it, but thank God he doesn't turn his back on me. He's waiting. God works in our personal life. I think, let's go back to a biblical example. We could go to the, the, the king of King Cyrus of Persia. Remember, remember reading about him? Per, per, king of, you remember the children of Israel were <clears throat> exiled. The, the, the best and the, and, and the good were all carried off uh, captive to Babylon. But this king, this king that ruled the world from sea to sea, Think about it. He ruled the world from sea to sea. He gave a command to release the children of Israel to go back to the promised land. And there they could rebuild the city of Jerusalem, beginning with the walls. God cares about his people. God will move kings to move in your life. God will move in different ways. I, I've told the story about how I uh, had a traffic violation one time when I was uh, early 20s. And uh, God moved the judge just to uh, just give me a break. It wasn't anything I tried to do wrong. It was a traffic violation, and, and I wasn't paying attention. Anybody ever do that? I always pay attention. Now they're on dead. Right. That's not true. When I drive and I don't run over anybody, I give God the glory. Because I see the world when I'm driving. 
And some of you would not want to ride with me. My wife is a wonderful companion. She's not worried about the details of life. She's worried about the big picture. Keep it in the road. <laughs> but God, over and over in our life, God, listen, young people, over and over in your life, if you walk with the Lord, He, he, he just moves things and turns things. And He cares about the details, the smile, the small, minute details of your life. God is a loving God, a forgiving God. His, his works in our life tells of His nature, His nature of forgiveness, His nature of love and compassion. And you can see God working in your life if you look for it, if you look for it. Now look at verse, verse 3 and 4. The, verse 2, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of them that have pleasure therein sought out by them to have pleasure. We need to seek God, seek His works. Verse 3, the work, His work is honorable and glorious and His righteousness endures forever. Here's the thing, here's the thing. Lord, will you help me steal this money? Will you help me not get caught stealing this money? Here, I'm going to go rob the bank. Jesus, will you help me not get caught? Is He going to answer that prayer? That prayer is an abomination, Right? Aren't y'all glad I didn't lose my thought and not complete that thought? That would be an abomination. God doesn't do anything dishonorable. That's when, when we try to do things that are dishonorable, the Lord says, oh, you're on your own on that one. You're on your own on that one. Okay? He doesn't approve of sin in our life. He doesn't approve of dishonorable acts in our life. But He's always there. He doesn't forsake us. He never leaves us. So, so let's look at it. Verse 3. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endureth forever. Listen, you never can ask God to do anything that's not right because He's a righteous God. And He will not violate His righteous nature. His works are honorable. His works are glorious. And, and he, he, he has a design for our life, He has a plan for our life. He has possibilities for our life. He has potentials for our life. And if we get into God, He brings these things to pass at a greater rate in our life. God is good to the worst of us. But God is really good if we try to seek Him. Seek Him. Proverbs 25, verse 2, I have a reference here. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. I want to challenge you with that. We are kings and priests unto God, so we can get included in that, in that, ta- that, that text there. It is a glory, it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. It's sort of like this. I'll, I'll explain it this way, and it, this may be a bad example. But God plays hide and seek with every one of us. God plays hide and seek. And I, sometimes I get mad. And I say, I don't like the rules of this game. I don't change the rules of the game because God is God. But God plays hide and seek. He hides stuff. And he reveals it to us as we seek it. And so I want to challenge you to seek to know God and to know his will and to know his plan. God's plan for your life is a mystery. But he will, he will make it known. But he will not make it known to those that do not care. Why did God create Adam? He created Adam because he wanted someone to seek him and desire to seek him. That's why he made man. Okay? 
So, uh, you take the unsaved people. You take the atheists. You know why the atheists can't see God? They're not looking for him. That's the only reason they can't see him. They're not looking for him. If you look for God, you'll find him. If you don't look for him, he probably won't be revealed to you. And th there's exceptions to that rule too. God just sometimes interrupts and he reveals himself. Psalms 11, not Psalms 11, but Hebrews 11, verse 6. I want to challenge y'all, challenge y'all to, to memorize Hebrews 11, 6. Some of you already have it memorized and it's up on the screen. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he, I've got to get it back in my brain. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does that verse say? Think about that verse. That, that verse runs contrary to some people's belief. Uh, some people have the belief that what will be, will be. There's nothing you can do to change anything. Uh, and and you just, you're just a, a pawn in the hand of God. And, but, hey, God is in God. God is in control of all things. But that verse runs against that policy. God says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you need to have faith, don't you? And you cannot have faith, or you can have faith, or he wouldn't have said that. Right? But, it, it, but without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Some man-made doctrines make you think that what the will of God is, and you don't have anything, no part of it at all, and that's just crazy. You must believe that he is. Well, God made me to believe that he is. That's trash. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you want to know God, you can find him. He made it that way. You can find him. God never created any person to go to hell. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. And it'll be your will to choose to reject him. All right, so God's works are glorious. How he works in our life to bring us to Christ is glorious. His righteousness is glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. All of the works of God, all of the works of God are glorious. The most glorious of all the works of God are his works of redemption. God made the world. He said, that's good. I like what uh, Dr. Phillips used to say. He, when he made this, he said, yeah. Yeah, not a big deal. Just to take that to the conclusion, his greatest work is when he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His greatest work is the plan of salvation that was planned before the foundation of the world. That's his greatest work. Think about this. A God that is on a throne in heaven that cannot be touched, cannot be moved, cannot be, cannot be challenged, he so chose to come and live among us. To be one of us. To live like we live. 
to go to the toilet. You ever think about that? You're not defiled, you are. Every time you go to the toilet, you prove your defilement. You dirty thing, you. Hey, you have to take a bath. You're just filthy. That's who we are, right? But this great God chose to come down here and sweat with us. Think about the God of creation. He came down here and sweat with us. And he didn't have any modern conveniences. I, Jesus is up there, and Peter and him having a conversation. He said, man, it'd be a piece of cake to go down to earth now. <laughs> you think that's going on? No. But it's a good example. But he came. The work of redemption is his most glorious work. He made himself fit to walk among us, to be one of us. He made himself weak. He gave himself all the emotions that we have so that we could, he could feel everything that we feel, suffer anything that we feel. And he did it because his great love for us, he wanted to take us to heaven. And he'll take anyone who calls upon him to heaven. If you'll come to Jesus, he'll take you to heaven. His works tell of his nature. His nature. You see a part of God when you look at the stars, when you look at creation, but you don't see the picture of God or who he really is until you look at what he did in redemption. Then you understand the true nature of God. Look at verse 4. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. That's who God is. We have a compassionate God. You know, we, we worry about the heathen that dies and, and the, all the evil that's in the world. God in his compassion and his willingness to allow us to have a will has to allow all of that to take place. But to all who call upon him, he'll reach down and he'll touch their life. So, have you looked to the cross? That old rugged cross where the blood of Jesus bled and died on that cross just like your blood would die on a cross. Just like your blood would be spilt, his, spilt, his blood was spilt. He did that for our salvation. Can you see the loving kindness of God? His glorious, full of compassion nature. We need to praise him for what he's already done in life. We need to be loyal to praise Him because He is a loyal, promise-keeping God. He's loyal. How many like traitors? No one likes a traitor. Betrayal. Some of us take it more personal than others. Some of us expect it to happen, and so we all feel differently about it. But God is a loyal God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I think I've told you young guys about when I was 17, I was driving my, my uh, Grand Trino uh, over to Steele, Missouri. I had nine guys in the car, counting me. You ever been in a Grand Torino with the, the eight other people? It's hard to do. Always having a big time. A guy had said something about me to my buddy that sat to my right, Jimmy Copeland. Jimmy's with the Lord now. And I got out, and I'm going to fight him. And I was doing a pretty good job fighting him. But then he had a buddy that got in there and hit me the hardest I've ever been hit in my life. 
just hit me so hard. And then he hit me again. And he hit me again. You know what? He about solved my desire to fight. And I said, boys, let's go get them. Come on, get out. We can fight them. Nobody got out of that car. Now, for years, I thought they were disloyal. But I have later determined that they were smart. There were 50 of them and nine of us. But you know, that's the best fight I ever had in my life, guys. Because I didn't come out, come out the winner. I came out the winner in that I lost. And I learned something. The bad things that happen to you in life have more lessons in them than the good things. But my point from this, this story is God is loyal. And I'm going to tell you guys something. Y'all listen to me. Y'all listen to me, guys. If I'm out here about to get in the fight in Marble Hill, y'all better get out of the car. How many is getting out of the car with me, guys? <laughs> I ain't going with y'all. I ain't going with y'all. All right, so the loyalty of God. Verse 5, he hath given, <clears throat> wait a minute. Yeah. He hath given meat unto them that fear him, and he will ever be mindful of his covenant. He's loyal. He hath showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. And some of you people are wondering, why do you tell about having a fight when he's a young person? Because that ain't the worst thing a young person can do. Have some self-assertedness and think your own way and be independent-minded. And God's always after a rebellious young man to get him in line with God. And he can use you. You've got to have a little spunk to you. <clears throat> God is mindful of his covenant. We're to appreciate his loyalty, his mindfulness. He'll never forgive us, never leave us, nor forsake us. His work to the children of Israel. <clears throat> I, I pull this from verse 6. His work in the children of Israel. <clears throat> what did he do when they were in Egypt? I'm about ready to gargle in front of y'all. <clears throat> what did he do? What, who did he send to Israel, to, to Egypt, to, to gather the Israelites to bring them out of Israel? Who was it? Thank you, Linda. I could hear that voice. He sent a mediator. Is a, he's a type of Christ. He sent Moses there, and God sent him. He got them across the Red Sea. They're 40 years in the wilderness because of their sin. Did God forget them? The only reason he didn't forget them because of the mediator... He didn't forget them, but he brought them into the promised land and he gave them the promised land. Now, I want to show you verse 6 because I think it's important. Look at verse 6. He had showed his people the power of his works. That's what he did in the promised land. That he may give them the heritage of the heathen. So, God... Are you calling them people that was there before the children of Israel heathen? That's exactly what he called them, isn't it? That was their land. Are you sure of that? When people started coming to America, they, I'm going to offend all you full-blooded Indians now. Now, I got an Indian in me. When, he, when people started coming across the ocean to the to America to find freedom and ability to worship. There were people here, weren't they? 
And he took that ground from those people, didn't he? And he gave it to these people that wants to establish a nation, one under one God, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. When we get away from that principle, we're going to better look out, right? So notice, he took that. And you, you, you get this. If you go to talking to people that want to have a complaint about God, you'll say, well, and they'll tell you about the way that the indigenous people were treated in America. Let me ask you a question. Whose land is this? It's his. It's his. It's not ours. It's not theirs. And he gives it to whoever he wants. Now that you better understand and accept that God is God. And he works in respect to our attitude towards him. When those people came here, there, was, they, they, there were all kinds of people. But of the groups that came here, there was a core group, maybe small, but core group of people that wanted God. Example, when they came to New England, he blessed them and they survived. When they came to Jamestown, it was for gold and they didn't survive. I think you better think about things like that. But notice verse 6. They, uh, verse 6, he said, He hath showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. It's God's land, the heathen are wherever. And who are the heathen now? They're the Americans. They are the Americans. So it's all God's. And he gives it to whoever he wills. That's what he did in the example of the children of Israel, and that's what he does constantly. It's God's. He can do with it what he wants. He owns the land. Psalms 24, 1, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and all that they that dwell in it. It's all his, right? We could go to Psalms 89, verse 11, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. It's all God's. Okay. So Brecken owns a piece of property. Hopefully this stays this way. Caleb comes to live on his property. He has the right to expel him from his property. Is that not true, Caleb? That's true. Don't forget that's true. The laws of the land are changing rapidly. I better hurry up and get this illustration done. Because it's yours. Okay? Property ownership. You realize property ownership is a vital part of what the Bible teaches. Property ownership. It's, it's in Scripture. Thank God it is. And we're getting away from that. Now, to continue, we need to praise God for what He's done, for His works in the physical world, for what He does in the spiritual world. Verse 7, the works of His hand are true, and judgments, all of His commandments, are sure. You can count on it. Verse 8, they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. And that word verity does mean truth, fundamental truth, important fundamental truth. God does not lie. His, his word is not trivial. It's important, it's real, it's sure. His work is durable. Verse 8, they stand fast 
forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. You can count on God never changing, His Word never changing. God, God, His work is genuine. It's real. Lies don't hold up, but God's Word abides forever. Y'all ever heard anybody saying they don't believe the Bible? Y'all ever heard anybody, guys? You ever heard people say they don't believe the Bible? Guess what? They'll die, and this thing will keep living. It never changes. You can depend on the Word of God. You can count on the Word of God. You can bank on the Word of God, and you can build your life on the Word of God. Now let's look at verse 9. We get close to the end. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverent is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. The Lord is the source of all praise. The Lord is center of all praise. He's holy. He's reverent. That's his name. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've read that in other places in the Bible, haven't we? That At least two, I think three other places, the Bible says uh, that same thing, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And you don't have to fear other things if you fear the Lord. Now, we begin with the Lord by humbly, humbly bowing ourselves before Him. You've heard of Saul of Tarsus, haven't you? Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul in the New Testament. Paul the Apostle. He was breathing threat and killing Christians, or overseeing the killing of Christians given approval to put them in prison, to persecute them or whatever. God revealed himself to the Apostle Paul and he bowed on his knees. He bowed before the Lord. He humbled himself. And we see it in the text. It said, Lord, what would you have me do? Young guys, young women, everybody else, let's be willing to acknowledge that he's the Lord. And let's be willing to say, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And if you do that, you will have spiritual insight. And you will be rewarded for obeying God. You will have wisdom if you believe his word. And you will praise him in your life. You will praise him when you're our age. But thank God you'll praise him forever, ever in heaven. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's, let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would let these young people get a hold of how important it is to walk in your presence under your authority, praising you for the good things, for the bad things, and all the things in their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.